dominated by self-proclaimed anti-globalists, Brazil's foreign policy under Jair Bolsonaro has been based on one thing and one thing only, total alignment with the United States. Actually, scratch that. A total alignment with President Donald J. Trump. We're going to have a fantastic working relationship. Uh, we have many views that are similar. Brazil and the United States stand side by side in their efforts to ensure liberties, respect for the traditional family, respect for God, our creator, against gender ideology and political correctness, and against fake news. But that bromance, which, let's be honest, often seems quite one-sided, could soon be over. The U.S. presidential election is scheduled for November the 3rd, and the odds are not in Trump's favor. Challenger Joe Biden is polling way ahead of the incumbent, with the former senator and Barack Obama's VP showing up 15 points ahead of Trump nationally, according to the latest Washington Post-ABC News poll. Of course, the U.S. election isn't held through proportional representation, where each vote counts the same. During the presidency, candidates in the U.S. must win the Electoral College, which is determined by 50 state-level votes. And operatives involved in the election agree that the race is much tighter in battleground states than national polls might suggest. So this week we ask the question... Between Joe Biden and Donald Trump, should Brazil and Latin America be backing a horse in this race? My name is Gustavo Ribeiro. I'm the editor-in-chief of The Brazilian Report. You're listening to the Explaining Brazil podcast. Before we talk about what will become of Brazil-U.S. relations, we should first understand at which point they are now. And to do that, we spoke to Carlos Gustavo Poggio, an international relations professor at FAAP University in Sao Paulo. We are talking about the two largest uh, democracies and the two largest countries in the Western Hemisphere. And they, they do have a long uh, history of, uh, in their relationship. Uh, the United States was the very first country to recognize Brazilian independence, for example. So we're talking about a relationship that goes back to, uh, to, to the beginning of the 19th century when Brazil became independent. And since then, one thing that stands out when we think about uh, Brazil-U.S. US relations uh, since the, the, the 19th century is how steady they have been. I mean, they Brazil and the United States, they, it's true that they have never been really, really close, but also they have never been uh, openly confrontational towards each other. You don't see in the U.S.-Brazilian relationship uh, uh, times of uh, big confrontation. And it, it, this is especially interesting if you compare to Argentinian 
foreign policy towards the United States, uh, which is much, uh, which varies a lot. I mean, the Argentinians, they, they have periods of very, very close relationship with the United States. For example, when you think about the 90s, the, the Carlos Mene uh, government, uh, but also periods of uh, confrontation. Uh, Argentina in the 40s, uh, in the 50s, uh, a U.S. official called Argentina a bad neighbor. You don't see that happening in the case of Brazil. It is true that we do have uh, certain periods of uh, more distant or more or closer relationship. That's true, but never really in terms of uh, openly confrontation on super super close and. If you think about the whole history, I mean, Brazil has been a monarchy when it was independent, a republic, a dictatorship, a democracy, and regardless of Brazilian domestic setting, uh, you don't see a lot of variation in terms of its relationship with the United States. So I think this is one thing that really stands out. Uh, for example, when we had uh, uh, some problems during the Dilma Rousseff administration regarding the the spy scandal. Carlos, just for those who don't remember, whistleblower Edward Snowden showed in 2013 that the U.S. National Security Agency uh, spied on Brazil's oil giant Petrobras and even former President Dilma Rousseff had her phone tapped. That's right. That's right. You do have these uh, very short episodes, uh, but they don't last long. I mean, uh, if, if we look in terms of a broader perspective, a more long-term relationship, uh, what is really impressive about Brazil-U.S. relationship is how little they change. Carlos, uh, at the turn of the 20th century, Brazil was rather a Francophile nation. But after World War One and Two, the country shifted and became much more influenced by the U.S., how did that shift happen and what were its results in terms of its influence over Brazil and even U.S. interference with Brazilian internal affairs? When we think about Brazil-U.S. relationship, we have to think about how Brazil sees itself as a regional power and uh, how the relationship with the United States affects the way Brazil acts as a regional power. So that uh, uh, this framework uh, helps us to understand several episodes of uh, U.S.-Brazil relationship. It's true that the United States, uh, especially after World War II, after it became a superpower, uh, that uh, the United States tried to influence uh, uh, some matters, uh, some domestic matters in Brazil, as it did in several other countries. Uh, but one thing, uh, and, and, by, and I wrote a book about it, and one thing that uh, really stands out when you look at uh, inter-American relations, uh, there is a clear difference in the pattern of relationship that the United States has with Central America, the Caribbean, and Mexico. That's one thing. And uh, the kind of relationship the United States has with South America. One uh, evidence of this is that the United States has never sent troops, boots on the ground, I mean, uh, to any South American nation, and it and it did on almost every uh, Central American nation, including Mexico and Mexico is a North American nation, but every every nation in the Caribbean in that region. But uh, the reasons behind that, I mean, this difference. One is, of course, 
uh, South America is not as strategically important to the United States as the Caribbean region is. I mean, so that, that's one thing. That's true. But another thing, and that's what I explain in my book, is that Brazil has acted in South America uh, in trying to keep the United States at arm arm's length, at, at a certain distance. Yeah, no, it's interesting you say that. I mean, even the military dictatorship that ruled Brazil between 1964 and 1985 was never the puppet state that the Brazilian left depicts. I mean, it was under the military, for instance, that Brazil engaged in relations with communist China in the 70s. We had some differences. I mean, during the Geisel and the Carter administration in the U.S. and the Geisel administration in, in Brazil, we did have uh, uh, some some fights, some differences, especially because the Carter administration was really focused on the human rights. And of course, Brazil was a dictatorship, didn't want to know much about human rights, and uh, guys' administration uh, uh, went after uh, Germany as, as a partner, and they, 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 they had an agreement in the nuclear field with Germany. Uh, so that was, that was really a low point in, in Brazil-U.S. relations during the guys' administration in the, the, during the military government. And how are Brazil-U.S. relations now under Jair Bolsonaro? He really wishes to be close to the Trump administration because they are close in terms of ideology. I mean, you may make some uh, people in the United States very concerned, especially, of course, Democrats. So uh, the Bolsonaro government didn't do anything uh, to, to, to build a relationship with the U.S. society as a whole, which, which would include uh, trying to build relationships with Democrats. Uh, instead, they trashed the Democrats uh, they, uh, as they've been trashing the, what they call the left or radical left or this kind of stuff, the same kind of vocabulary that Trump uses. Uh, so they alienated the Democratic Party. Bolsonaro is not popular in the U.S. Congress. And I remember that recently a group of 24 Democrats from the Ways and Means Committee voiced their strong objections to any rapprochement with Brazil because of how Bolsonaro acts and the values he defends. But Americans will also elect a new Congress in November. Uh, should Brazil be hoping for a Congress with a Democrat or a Republican majority? And does it even matter if you're not doing your homework in terms of grassroots lobbying? That's an interesting question. I mean, my, my answer, uh, my usual answer to this question would be what you just said. I mean, it doesn't matter if you don't build a relationship uh, with uh, U.S. society as a whole. That includes U.S. Congress, institutions, research, think tanks, etc. That, that, that's what the Mexicans did during, during NAFTA. No Brazilian government has done that ever. Uh, uh, also because, uh, I mean, uh, you, you, you don't find many parallels of what uh, the kind of relationship that Bolsonaro says he wants to have with the United States. Uh, what, I, what I'm saying is that if you state that you want good relationship with the United States, if you believe the United States should be uh, the number one ally of Brazil, uh, one, there is nothing wrong with that. That's a policy choice. But second, uh, you have to do it the right way. Uh, and um, and he, uh, especially if Bolsonaro wants to do it, you don't see uh, him and or, or his administration taking 
the right uh, course of actions uh, in the in the in, in this sense. So what it, what this means is that it's just talk, and if it's just talk, will disappear as quickly as it uh, came about. After the break, what would a Biden win means for Brazil and Latin America? My name is Gustavo Ribeiro, and this is the Explaining Brazil podcast. Hi, I'm Laura Kiran, co-founder of the Brazilian Report. COVID-19 has created a media paradox. Audiences are going up, but for many journalism companies, revenues actually is going down. Some of Brazil's biggest media outlets are trying to cut the salaries of their reporters by up to 70%. Not us. We protect our team because they bring you the best information about Brazil in English. But we do ask you to subscribe to The Brazilian Report, which is the engine of this podcast. There, you will find new in-depth content every day, special reports, analytical newsletters. Just go to brazilian.report/subscribe. And please, stay safe. With the coronavirus continuing to worsen in the U.S., President Donald Trump's approval ratings are plummeting. Axios reports that Wall Street analysts are increasingly convinced of a Biden wave, with Democrats sweeping the House, the Senate, and the presidency. We welcome to our show Peter Hakem, President Emeritus of the Inter-American Dialogue, a Washington-based think tank. Peter, thanks for joining us. Let's assume that Wall Street is right and Biden wins in November. What would a Biden doctrine be like for Latin America? I think there are several ways that uh, a Joe Biden would be a real advance. One, a sort of change in attitude, a change in style of diplomacy. He will try to restore uh, the kind of relationship with Cuba that Obama was aiming for. I think he will reduce the sort of pressure on Venezuela and sort of focus a little more on the human side of that, that crisis. Uh, I think that on the big issue will be migration. It's been very difficult for any government uh, since Reagan even uh, to develop a uh, serious uh, policy, new policy toward immigration. Republicans and Democrats both agree that the immigration policy of the United States is a broken, uh, broken system. And uh, I don't think that you're going to see a sort of brilliant new uh, policy, but I think you're going to see improvements uh, throughout. I think the, the DACA, the Dreamers allowing young children who came to the United States with their parents, never knew any country aside from the United States, really remain here and become citizens is a likely outcome. I think the whole question of temporary protective authority is going to be more generous than, than Trump, is, Trump is hoping. Trump wants to do away with the temporary protective status for a large number of, of people living in the States now which will upend uh, a lot of countries in a, in, a, in a variety of ways. I think Biden will stick to sort of the way the 
U.S. has managed the the, uh, the temporary protective status. I think the whole question of dealing with uh, asylum and refugees will return to sort of the more, well, I uh, say internationally legal uh, agreements that have been reached on, on refugees and asylum seekers, and also just a more humane, not sending asylum seekers to the United States back to what they call a safe country, uh, Guatemala or Honduras, uh, that sound, uh, there will be less separation of families. There still will be deportations. There will still be uh, turning people back at the borders. But I think, again, it will be a more humane, uh, more uh, sort of uh, policy that the Latin Americans doesn't cause, you know, uh, the kind of distaste for Trump in Mexico and Central America that now exists. And how about Venezuela? Because Trump told Axios that he was open to talking to Nicolas Maduro, and then Biden lambasted him for that. And Biden has a past of being a bit of a war hawk. Well, you know, prediction is is always hard and dangerous. But my guess would be he would put somewhat more emphasis on dealing with Venezuela's or helping Venezuela, uh, even under Maduro, deal with its uh, humanitarian crisis, its economic crisis that is leaving uh, the people of Venezuela in deep misery and a situation that continues to deteriorate. I don't think he will uh, is likely to continue that policy of sanctioning Venezuela and still it hurts the uh, the population of Venezuela very, very deeply. Uh, my sense is that uh, he will pursue much more vigorously the idea of some kind of negotiation. Uh, I, you know, it's very hard to make precise what that would work, what that would mean. But Peter, uh, Biden's special advisor for Latin America, Juan Gonzalez, indicated that a Biden White House would give Mr. Maduro one option, and one option only, elections observed by some form of independent body and forcing him to leave office. I mean, how can you negotiate under these terms? Well, I mean, we have a lot of experience in the United States in trying to change regimes. We've tried regime change in Iraq and Afghanistan most recently with terrible results. Uh, I don't think the United States is in any position to make that kind of threat to uh, either uh, Maduro agrees to resign or that the U.S. is going to somehow replace him. I, I think that that's just an unlikely scenario. Uh, there's even uh, uh, John Bolton in his book suggests that that was a unlikely scenario that, that somehow there is an ability to presser Maduro to resign uh, and threaten. Uh, my guess is, frankly, that uh, Biden, like I say, uh, will pay a lot of attention to the refugees from Venezuela that are now in a terrible situation given the uh, 
pandemic, the, the coronavirus. Uh, many are trying to return to Venezuela. Venezuela doesn't have any capacity to provide, you know, absolute necessity, food, medicine, uh, what have you. Uh, and my sense is that the attention will turn more to how you alleviate the enormous suffering that the Maduro regime is causing. And what about Brazil specifically? Should we expect harmonious relations or something more confrontational between Biden and Bolsonaro? There, there may be some uh, actual uh, uh, confrontations with Brazil on issues that I think the Biden administration will find important. One of those issues will be... Uh, Uh, the environmental uh, issues, and particularly the deforestation in the Amazon. Human rights issues do affect the countries, and I think they, you know, good human rights policies in countries make tend to help unify countries, tend to strengthen democratic processes. And I suspect that, that Biden is uh, going to be less generous toward Brazil and its uh, policies toward whether it's uh, indigenous groups, women, Afro-Brazilians, you have it. But on the whole, I don't think there is going to be any kind of startling new opening toward Latin America, simply because Latin America is not a high priority on Uh, either party's agenda right now. Uh, like I say, well, it's not threatening and it's not economically strong enough to really make a difference in its, its economic relations with the United States. Just think uh, that the United States uh, sends about uh, 15% of its exports to uh to uh, Mexico. And uh, uh, when you get to Brazil, it sends about 2%. The U.S. is an important trading partner of Latin America. But two-thirds of its trade is with one country, Mexico. And uh, like I say, if Brazil were where it were back in the 2000 to 2011, 2012, I think that, yes, Brazil rose in importance. The U.S. was looking for ways of improving and deepening the economic relationship. Today, I think that uh, Brazil was an outlier. Brazil is, uh, is in, in many parts of the, uh, the world, it's become a pariah. And uh, I think uh, the U.S. has um, basically kept its distance from Brazil. Even uh, uh, Donald Trump has not shown much in the way of new policy directions toward Brazil. Peter, thank you very much. Peter Haking is President Emeritus of Think Tank Inter-American Dialogue. And if you like this podcast, please rate Explaining Brazil with five stars wherever you get your podcasts. Or you can sign up to The Brazilian Report, the journalistic engine behind the show. We offer a seven-day free trial, no strings attached, which gives you access to the site for a week, without the need to insert any credit card details whatsoever. 
Again, I'm Gustavo Ribeiro, and we'll see you back here next week.